0: You are listening to Inside Biotech, an exciting new podcast from Biotech Connection Los Angeles, which focuses on the science behind Southern California's most innovative new biotech companies. For those listeners who are new to the podcast, BCLA is an organization dedicated to inspire, educate and connect emerging scientists and entrepreneurs to grow and diversify biotech in LA. I'm your host, Dr. Uwanda Pierce, and I am so excited to welcome you to episode two of season two of the podcast. If you want to stay informed about current progress and developments in the biotech industry, then you've definitely come to the right place, and I hope that you'll subscribe and keep coming back. Each month, I'll be talking with different scientists, entrepreneurs, and investors about the cutting-edge science that goes on inside their companies, touching on a range of themes from across Southern California's biotech industry. This month, we are continuing our series theme, The Dish on Biotech and Food. As I mentioned last month, this is definitely a personal favorite of ours because, like I said, the only thing more enjoyable than eating food is talking about food. Walk into Trader Joe's, Whole Foods or Ralphs, and you are confronted with millions of products from a simple apple to a niche protein powder. It might be surprising that science and biotechnology are closely intertwined with the majority of the products that you see. From a plant-based egg, a new plant-based milk, or a bean-based chip, innovators have been using biotech to make food that is healthier and better for us and better for the environment as well. To fund these vital projects, companies like Power Plant Partners invest in plant-based products, new ways to keep produce clean, and so much more. The products of tomorrow and the next year's trip to the grocery store are being invested in by this company, with a focus on healthy, sustainable, and delicious foods, drinks, and supplements. As a vice president of the investment team of Power Plant Partners, Julianne Hummelberg gives us the inside scoop on the company and these products. That interview, up next. Julianne Hummelberg is Vice President and Investor at Powerplant Partners, the growth equity firm that invests in emerging consumer wellness companies, leading with plant-based technologies and CPG. Powerplant's portfolio companies use innovation to make a lasting positive impact on the global food and wellness systems. Julianne leads deal sourcing and execution and helps power plant portfolio companies create value as a board member of Veggie Grill and board observer to Zero Egg, Owen, Ray Wellness, Rebel, The Coconut Collaborative, and Jot Coffee. Julianne has always been passionate about using food and diet to optimize human health. Prior to Powerplant, she spent six years in asset management at Emerging Global Advisors and Invesco. In 2008, she transitioned into venture capital during business school, working as an investment associate at health and wellness-focused investment firms, Trailmix Ventures, and Spring Mountain Capital. She earned her MBA from Columbia Business School, where she was a venture and private equity fellow and president of the Healthy Living Club. She also holds a BA in economics from Wake Forest University, where she graduated cum laude and an Associate Degree in Economics from the London School of Economics and Political Science. She is also a board member, a synergist network, a nonprofit organization that works towards gender parity in the private equity and venture capital industries. Welcome to Inside Biotech, Julianne. What an impressive background. We are so honored to have you as a guest on Inside Biotech. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing very well, thanks. Excited to be here and thanks for having me.
0: Oh we're very excited to have you so we've been very excited to have this conversation with you so I think let's just get into it. Great. So let's start with an opening question that will sort of set the scene which is that we would love to learn a bit more about how you got into investing in food and beverage companies. What inspired you to focus your investment career here?
1: Yes, happy to dive in and, and thanks so much for having me and setting up a series on the dish on food and biotech. So, really excited to be here and share more about what I'm seeing in the food and biotech industry specifically. For a bit of background on me, you know, I spent my entire career in investment management, as you mentioned in my bio, but really started getting passionate about food and wellness specifically. A few years after graduating college, transparently, I was really getting burned out in a high-profile mm-hmm. career that I had in New York, working north of 80 hours a week. And wow, I distinctly <sighs> remember just being in dire search of something that would just make me feel better so I could have the energy I wanted to have to succeed. And serendipitously during that time, came across several books in my research, predominantly work from Chris Carr. Dr. Frank Lipman really stand out, as well as Michael Pollan and all Mm. of the research they've done on diet and nutrition at being correlated with health and longevity. And that really catapulted an entire period of self-research and discovery in my life, and I've never really looked back since then. Health and wellness had always been a focus of my family. My mom was a health and nutrition coach and always taught us that food was medicine, but really discovering that for myself was an important and pivotal point during my investment career. I became predominantly plant-based, And an obsessive wellness consumer, so testing out new diets, supplement, fitness trends, et cetera, and really found this was the unlock to the energy that I wanted to drive a successful career in investment management. During this time as a wellness consumer, I just saw an investment opportunity. I was seeing how flawed our $8 trillion global food system was in my research. And just to add, a bit of color to that. 70% of Americans are overweight and are obese.
0: Wow, 70?
1: Yes. It amazed me. And it's predominantly because they are on, you know, the standard American diet or what we acronym is SAD. <laughs> it's extremely inefficient. Animal protein has 10x the fossil fuel input to plant protein. It's really unsustainable with the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that are due to livestock in this country and globally. North of 65 billion farm animals are slaughtered each year. And there's this rise in global population that's only going to increase food demand going forward. So I was recognizing all of these issues while becoming a plant-based wellness consumer and I saw this big opportunity for entrepreneurs, investors. I saw technology leaning in. I saw governments leaning in to invest in this space because not only was plant-based a trend that I was enjoying as a consumer to transform my own health, mm-hmm. but it I saw it as a necessity to solve the broken global food system that I was Understanding more and more how broken it was, right? So that's what really catapulted my interest in investing in the space. And I went to Columbia Business School to do that, where I was president of the Healthy Living Club and worked at several funds that were investing in the future of living well. Mm-hmm. And a big pillar of living well is plant based diets. And that led me to find Power Plant in 2019. We are a growth equity fund that invests in consumer wellness companies, predominantly at the series A, B, and C stage. We invest in brands that are really focused on transforming the world's health through the power of plants. And it's my dream job to work with these mission-driven entrepreneurs every day. We come in typically at the series A, B, or C stage, as I mentioned help them grow, mitigate risks, and build for a successful outcome where Mm -hmm. their businesses scale, as does their impact.
0: Wow, there are so many points that I wanted to pick up on. First of all, I really love the way you described yourself as a, a wellness consumer, first and foremost, and it's really inspiring that that has actually become your work and that you are within the space from a really authentic origin, like this is your living, something that you are, you know, your, your business is in. So the authenticity in that, I think, brings something particular to that space and also your background, which is already so impressive. Being able to combine those two is super inspiring. When you said the statistics on obesity in America, that is mind-blowing. And I think one of the sad things is actually excuse the pun, but one of the sad things actually is that I think a lot of consumers, they are trying, they do want to eat nutritiously, but a lack of information or yeah. almost some trickery, I think that goes on in the way that things are marketed as healthy, but are full of sugar or full of, you know, things that aren't doing your body any good. I think is really unethical and something that I've always been concerned about. It's amazing to see the plant based world explode in the last few years. And I am really excited to see how that kind of combine sort of the intersection between plant-based food for our health but also for the environment because the reality is we can't ignore climate change anymore and we do need to come up with alternatives so it's really encouraging that plant-based is I don't know if it's just in LA but definitely in LA is really booming and is something that I think a lot of consumers are interested in now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and we're, we're seeing that uh, tenfold on the investment side in terms of just the cultural zeitgeist that's going on with consumers realizing the benefits of plant-based and demanding it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a much more elevated trend than the Better For You movement that we saw about a decade ago. It's almost like, who cares if it's better for you if the product was so bad for you in the first place.
0: exactly. exactly. (laughs) Um,
1: But but really being derived by plants and clean ingredients. And we invest in brands that educate consumers in a non-polarizing way Mm -hmm. that's more simplistic in bringing them into this plant-based movement. And the growth of plant-based the last five years has just been astronomical. There's actually been a 6x increase in consumers in the U.S. who have identified themselves as plant-based or flexitarian in the last three years. And then there's something going on in the cultural zeitgeist. I'm sure you saw 11 Madison park, a really predominant Michelin star restaurant in Manhattan just announced they're going entirely plant-based. There's a ton of support from celebrities. And so it's making the education for consumers more accessible and fun and uh, cultural resonating culturally.
0: Absolutely. I mean, Drake just invested in plant-based yes. <laughs> <laughs> meat. <laughs> so if, if Drake's investing in it, I think you know his, exactly. there's so much to follow. And I really, I really am so inspired by all of these companies that are coming up in this space and um, this plant-based movement. And as you were saying, making it accessible to people, I think making it easy. Once you have that technology, making it accessible and easy, I think people will make that choice. You know, I think it's it's not necessarily that people don't want to be healthier in their lifestyle. I think it's just the availability. So, I mean, just to point something out in your bio, the zero, the that mm-hmm. you're on a board of zero to zero eggs. When I discovered zero eggs, I was so happy because the one <laughs> thing that kept me from being vegan was, but what about eggs? So <laughs> I How think many people say that. And I, I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's really, really tasty. So yeah, I'm excited about what's happening um, within this space. So I guess another question, then following on from that is what do you look for? in a new product or company that you think will be successful because it is a booming market now, but I'm sure it's, you know, it, it easily becomes overly saturated. So what do you actually look for?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I could start broadly and then dive into zero A specifically. And real quick, just to focus on the technology point you mentioned and Obviously, this podcast is named Inside Biotech, but technology has been a huge unlock to making these products affordable, accessible, and mainstream, and we're only going to see that going forward. We've seen most of the funding and the revenue growth within alternative proteins coming from plant-based, but now Mm -hmm. we're starting to see a lot of the funding go into the more high-tech sub-segments of alt-protein fermentation and cell-based. And so I can get on into that later on in our conversation, but really excited by what's happening within biotech specifically for plant-based food. And I know your conversation with Ryan Bethencourt last month shed a lot of light on that as well. In terms of what we look for, for investing at at Power Plant, and I think more broadly as well, uh, within just plant-based food and beverage is number one, a mission-driven team. Mm -hmm. so a phenomenal founder that resonates with the mission of making plant-based diets accessible And is so passionate about that. They're willing to just run through walls. Because all of the hurdles that entrepreneurs inevitably experience. I know on your episode with Ryan. He was pretty transparent about Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of the hurdles Wild Earth has experienced. But he is so mission driven. And a founder that we know well through Power Plant. And we really admire his authenticity, tenacity, and perseverance. And those are traits that we always look for in founding teams of our companies. Second is having a problem that's solving a solution consumers are demanding for in the market.
0: Zero Mm. eggs
1: is a great example of this, right? So you mentioned yourself, a lot of people are prevented from going entirely vegan or entirely plant-based and sort of staying vegetarian and consuming eggs because there's just not a lot of great alternatives. Right. Uh, Very few products on the market if they are on the market, don't have the maximum versatility of an egg in that it's either liquid and you can make a scramble or you purchase a plant-based egg powder for baking exclusively. And there's really no product in the market that can do both simultaneously. Zero Egg is one of those products that can. And Mm. they absolutely have a unique solution that blends a variety of plant-based proteins as launching at price parity with an egg because of the phenomenal technology they developed in Tel Aviv, Israel. And you can make a scramble, bake, make French toast, pancakes, all with their same plant-based egg powder, which they are now launching in liquid format as well as ready-to-eat egg patty format this summer. So really having a product that is differentiated in the market that consumers are demanding is something we spend a lot of time understanding at Powerplant when we're looking to invest. And that's correlated with just having a brand that consumers resonate with. So having a product that consumers are demanding, and then elevating that with a brand that consumers resonate with. And as I mentioned earlier, this brand needs to be accessible, affordable, and have mainstream appeal. I think gone are the days of us getting really, investors getting really excited in companies that have aspirational brands that are very high priced in the wellness sector and don't really have the ability to scale outside right. of wealthy markets on the coast. So we really look for brands that resonate with mainstream consumers across a variety of demographics and income levels. And then lastly, I would just say, we really look for achievable and realistic strategies and executing plans all four of the general partners at PowerPlant have been founders, operators of plant-based brands themselves that had had successful exits. And so we have a real ability to uniquely underwrite go-to-market strategies within plant-based food and beverage because it's one thing to have an amazing founder product mm-hmm. and technology supporting that product. But if you don't have a well-thought-out Achievable plan that accounts for all of the hurdles that entrepreneurs are inevitably going to run into in the ultra competitive food and beverage sector, the company is not going to scale. And so we need to see that plan forecast it out into the future. And then we'll work with them post investment to pivot. Sometimes I'm not saying it needs to be a, a full fool, false foolproof plan where changes don't happen, but we need to see at least that strong thought process and planning there first, and then we'll work with them closely post-investment to execute on it.
0: I wanted to tease out a little bit the process, which you began to speak about. But okay, so let's say you have one of these companies that has those four things that you are looking for. What is the actual investment process? Could you walk us through that?
1: Yeah, happy to. So, as I mentioned, we're focused on that growth equity stage. It's a little later than, than venture capital. So the company has likely already achieved product market fit and success in a given channel or region where they've generated typically north of 5 million in revenue, sometimes closer to 10 million in revenue. And that shows us that consumers are demanding this product. The team in place is operating at a very high level. And the execution plan that they initially set out to do is working. And with our capital, we can repeat that success and scale it to 50, 75, 100 million and position for a successful outcome, which Mm. is typically an exit, whether it be an IPO into the public markets or an acquisition from a large food and beverage strategic that Are really focused on pivoting their portfolio more towards plant-based, but it's difficult for them to innovate internally. So that's what we're typically looking for. And once we initially speak with an investor, if they sort of check those financial metrics I mentioned in terms of top-line revenue, year-over-year growth rate, achievable margins, and execution plan that resonates with us, the next step is really diving into diligence where we'll take a financial forecast, sensitize it through a variety of different assumptions in terms of additional product launches, channels that they're entering, retailers they're launching in, et cetera, to understand if the core product, brand, and distribution strategy can achieve $50 million in sales in the next mm-hmm. few years with our capital and ideally profitability. So a lot of these companies are not profitable when we invest uh, because of the expense it takes to operate and grow at this Mm -hmm. scale, but also because of the technology that's underpinning the products. And so with our capital, we like to see an ability to drive towards profitability. And that's something we spend a lot of time on in diligence Outside of the financials, we really dive into the team. As I mentioned earlier, that's of utmost importance to us. So understanding their backgrounds, their reason for founding and growing this company, what really drives them and what success means to them. And then third is the technology. So I'll spend some time here given the the biotech focus of this podcast, but we work with a variety of food and beverage R&D incubators and operating partners that are experts on the technology side Mm -hmm. to really dive into the technology underpinning the product, if it's a true IP moat that's protected and prevents other players or larger incumbents from replicating this type of product. And also testing the product, so making sure that the technology results in a product that tastes good. Because at the end of the day, (laughs) it's uh, very difficult for food and beverage brands to scale if they don't taste good. And some of the companies we use to help us in that technology and product diligence is Pilot R&D out of the Pacific Northwest. They're a phenomenal Mm -hmm. R&D firm that incubates food ideas and really does a fantastic job testing plant-based products against their traditional animal or dairy counterparts and giving us real-time feedback. So they're phenomenal. And then we have an operating partner, Adam Lowery, who used to be a climate scientist and then founded Method Soap, one of the first clean and green. Oh,
0: yeah, I used that. Yes, good. <laughs> <It's great. laughs> one, of the, one of the first
1: clean and green um, personal care brands, actually, that was really successful predominantly in Target and mm-hmm. had really effective formulations that were plant-centric and clean and took significant market share from the incumbent brands in the space that had a lot of chemicals in them and didn't lead with plants. And after that, he founded Ripple which is a highly tech focused plant-based milk company that uses a unique type of protein innovation, which is scaled to close to 50 million in revenue. He was the founder and CEO, and that's also an investment in Fund One at Power Plant. And he now works closely with our brands, one of them being Zero Egg actually, to help with product our innovation, R&D, and go-to-market strategy of these new high-tech products.
0: Wow, thank you for walking us through the process. Obviously, a lot of thought goes into this process to ensure a successful product at the end of it. I guess at the end of the day, consumers just want a good product. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors.
2: Hello, I'm Beheya, a consulting associate at BCLA, and I'm here with some messages from our sponsors. The Magnify Incubator at UCLA's California Nanosystems Institute provides co-working laboratory resources for early-stage startup companies working on scientific innovations to address unmet needs. In addition to infrastructure and resources, Magnify also provides access to mentorship, partnerships, and UCLA's vibrant research community. To learn more and apply for space at Magnify, visit magnify.cnsi.ucla.edu today. Zencor is an LA biotech committed to improving patient lives by engineering and developing better biologic medicines. Using their pioneering XMAB technologies, Zencor has created or contributed to over 20 therapeutic antibodies and cytokines in ongoing clinical trials. They are advancing these drug candidates for patients internally and with leading industry partners, and two XMAV antibodies are now FDA-approved. Zencor is always looking for scientific talent and has more than 10 research scientist positions available. They offer the opportunity to work on cutting-edge biology and an environment to grow and enhance your career. Learn more and apply. at. X-E-N-C-O-R.com slash careers.
0: The process that you've described is extremely thorough. Are there any sort of variables that you can't account for? Like any wild cards that through experience, you know, you, you just can't really prepare for them?
1: There are wild cards in every single diligence. I'd mm-hmm. say I've been doing this for a number of years and our, our general partners and operating partners have been doing it for decades. So we do have very strong pattern recognition that we mm-hmm. lean on, but each company is extremely unique and there will be uh, wild cards in terms of uh, things that come up in diligence across team, product, strategy, et cetera, that always happen and we mm-hmm. always factor in. And that's a part of the reason why we sensitize financial forecasts significantly because we understand not only will wild cards come up during diligence, but they'll also come up when working with the company post-investment as well, right? So there's very few case studies of successful plant-based food and beverage brands that just had a straight-up growth and a successful Mm -hmm. outcome. You know, we were investors in Beyond Meat and while it was a phenomenal outcome with this strong IPO in 2019, it was a roller coaster for sure. And, and every brand faces trials and tribulations and setbacks that they could not have forecasted at that time. So yes, always wild cards and diligence. And then I know I spent most of my time speaking to the investment process in terms of what we look for before investing, mm-hmm. but we also have a really robust process after investing, which is really when the real work begins. We typically write significant checks of 10 to $15 million into these companies. So we have meaningful ownership stakes that range between 10 and 30%. And we sit on the board and work side by side with the founder CEO and his executive team, he or hers executive team, excuse me, and execute on the big opportunity that they have ahead of them. And we'll support them through a myriad of ways from marketing to -to go-to-market strategy to technology development, product innovation, distribution strategy, operations and manufacturing, et cetera.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, they're they're given um, variables that you can't control, but your robust processes, I mean, work within that framework. So at the beginning, we touched on a little bit some of the other in terms of the biotech and the technologies that you are working with with these companies. So can you speak to the funding and market sizes of plant-based versus fermentation versus cell-based alternative proteins. Which category are you most excited about investing in? Because I think a lot of people are a little bit confused about all of these different um, technologies.
1: Absolutely. And, and and it is confusing, but something that I'm really excited about mm-hmm. to our point earlier, taste is so important. And it is difficult for plants to replicate the true mouthfeel, taste, and texture of traditional animal proteins. And for plant-based to become mainstream and really transform the health of all of these consumers that are on that standard American diet that is so meat-heavy, leading with products that do really replicate traditional protein is the best way to start the transition for them. And that is only made possible because of the technology innovation that we've seen to date across all of these areas. And I I can touch on uh, them both- the technology, how much they've raised, the size, and I think the future potential of each.
0: Yeah, that would be great.
1: So within alternative proteins, it's a fairly large market, but I think it has an opportunity to be even larger. Actually, a lot of forecasts say that it could have the potential by 2030 to capture about 14% of the global meat market. That 14% number comes from plant-based milk, which is actually Mm. the most mature plant-based food category in that it has been able to capture 14 to 15% of the traditional dairy market, which is just phenomenal. And so at Power Plant, we're constantly assessing what other food sectors within plant-based have the potential to achieve the same market share capture plant-based milk has. So taking the global meat market and forecasting that it can get to where plant-based milk is today in the next 10 years, that would mean it alternative plant-based meat would be a $140 billion market, which is just Whoa. massive <laughs> and a Huge. really big opportunity <laughs> yeah. for both consumers and investors. And we're really seeing that happening. Um, all alt protein companies overall raised 3.1 billion last year. Wow. Which is more than half of the 6 billion all protein companies had raised between 2010 and 2020. So the last decade. And so funding's really accelerating as is consumer demand. I think I mentioned the 6X uplift and consumers Mm -hmm. resonating with plant-based. And so a lot's happening on the investor side, the entrepreneur side, the technology side, and governments are simultaneously supporting this as well. So I don't know if you've seen, but the World Health Organization now classifies processed meat as a stage one carcinogen.
0: No way. I did not know that.
1: Yes. Really? On top of that, countries are listening. So China is focused on reducing their meat consumption, both for their population health and environmental impact, by over 50% in 2030. The UK is implementing food taxes. There's just a, a lot of things going on that, in the government supporting uh, this astronomical growth we've seen within alt proteins as well. So, just wanted to set the stage there, and then specifically within alt proteins, we sort of divvy it up into three different markets. So, there's plant based meat. I'd say what most of your listeners are probably familiar with. Beyond and Impossible would be in this category, mm-hmm. albeit they're both very well funded now and setting up R and D teams that are focused on the subsequent sectors I'll get into as well. So plant-based meat um, was about a $4.6 billion category last year, positioned to be $85 billion by 2030, should we achieve that overall $140 billion market by 2030 that I mentioned earlier, and really growing at a north of 30% CAGR over the last three years. So Beyond and Impossible have done such a phenomenal job for the overall movement. Uh, they led with products rooted in technology that were able to replicate the taste and mouthfeel of traditional meat, unlike anything ever before. Uh, veggie burgers were have been around for decades. Exactly. Uh, they've never <laughs> achieved this type of market share penetration from traditional burgers like Beyond and Impossible have because they led with maniacal focus on product Mm -hmm. quality. And so plant-based meat is what we've predominantly at Powerplant have invested in to date because it is the most mature. Beyond Meat was a portfolio company of ours. And now we're starting to look at the future evolution of alternative proteins. And to be frank, one of the strongest criticisms of the Beyond and Impossible products is that they are highly processed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Impossible is GMO, Beyond Meat's non-GMO, but they do use a lot of ingredients and are heavily processed. And eating one every single day isn't necessarily the best for human health, albeit it's significantly better for human health than eating a McDonald's burger every day. And so that has started a whole new set of issues that new entrepreneurs are now solving and that they are looking to still replicate the taste and mouthfeel of traditional animal proteins, but doing so with five ingredients or less and much more cleaner ingredient desks that are less processed and really have strong nutritional profiles in terms of high protein, low sodium, low sugar, et cetera. One of the really interesting biotech and technological innovations that's becoming a solution for this demand of cleaner plant-based meats is fermentation and specifically fungi-based meat, Mm. which I think is a huge opportunity because you're essentially using mushrooms, one or two ingredients to replicate traditional animal meat. But it's a much smaller market because of the technology and the production is a bit of a bottleneck right now. Mm
0: -hmm. And we're
1: seeing entrepreneurs flock to this space to improve that. Wild Earth using Koji being one of them. It's less than a $250 million market today. But again, I see huge upside and they've attracted a ton of funding to improve the operations and supply chain aspect of fungi-based meat. I so Wild so. Earth's a great example. Prime Roots is another phenomenal brand. Um, there's also a brand outside of Australia named Fable that is using shiitake mushrooms to replicate uh, barbecue and Ooh. pulled pork specifically. Oh, nice. So, And it, all it is is shiitake mushrooms. So think about how strong that nutritional profile
0: is. Absolutely. As we're talking about science and biotech, the first thing that comes to mind is cell-based alternative proteins, which is something I came across uh, at a conference years ago. I work with stem cells. And um, I don't know, I feel like people have uh, pre misconceptions or, you know, are a little bit skeptical about cell-based alternative proteins. Could you talk a little bit about that in the market and where that sort of sits?
1: Yeah, I agree. And that was sort of the the third area within all proteins that we focus on. So there's obviously the large mature plant-based sector. Mm-hmm. It's still immature relative to its potential, but mature relative to fermentation and cell-based. Then there's fermentation, which we think is promising and exciting to invest in now. And we'll see them capturing significant market share in the next few years. And then lastly, there's cell-based. And this is a ways out from commercialization due to the tech-heavy, expensive production process mm-hmm. uh, that's required, but it's really interesting and I think could be a huge unlock, especially given how ineffective our current food system is on the industrial side in terms of carbon emissions and fossil fuel output. Mm. but our global population is rising, so something needs to change on the food production side, and this could be a phenomenal solution for that. So cell-based or cultured meat is essentially meat derived from the cells of animals in a lab that's really grown similar to the way we brew beer. It obviously takes a lot of technology if you think about growing a full steak off of one sell in a lab. (laughs) And so they've acquired a ton of funding to start these products about probably two to three years off from commercialization um, in terms of both the technology but the price point. And just to add a bit of color on that, right now, so in 2020, one cell-based hamburger patty costs about $100. Wow. So, it's expensive. That's right. It, it's much better than where it was 3 years ago, I'll say that. So, we're starting to see exponential growth in this space where they are able to bring this price point down and so we're watching that closely and I'd say there's a few other bottlenecks to having this scale in the next couple of years. It's I mentioned price point, I mentioned mm-hmm. technology, also governments this will require regulatory approval. It's been encouraging to see Singapore already approve cell-based meat, but the US isn't there yet. And so we're watching closely which companies will approve this on a regulatory basis and when. And then there's the consumer side and and you mentioned this, but consumers being a bit hesitant. Uh, it's a little too Frankenstein for them in mm-hmm. some ways yeah. on wanting to consume Meat that's been grown in a lab, but if you think about how clean this could be versus our traditional industrialized animal farming, where the cows and the animals have ulcers and sores and eat their own feces and are yeah. on antibiotics, and how dirty that meat can be, uh, this would be entirely clean and grown in a lab. And mm. it's it's interesting uh, to to see the technology really improve here and to solve some of the issues around tech and price point we're seeing some companies on track to launch in the next few years with the blended products where they're using cell-based meat as an ingredient it'll make up anywhere from 1 to 10% of a steak or a hamburger patty and the rest is oh, plant-based
0: oh that's interesting
1: and that's allowing them to should they achieve regulatory approval, potentially launched next year. Some of these firms include Aleph Farms, Artemis Foods, New Age Meats, and several others. So that's interesting, and it could result in this market growing um, sooner than I think some other folks may perceive.
0: Wow. This is such an interesting conversation. Just getting so much insight into what is happening within this very dynamic, fast growing market from the science perspective is super interesting. I feel like there's so much we could pack into this episode, but we are coming to the end of the episode. Julianne, I have one last question for you, which is that we were so excited to hear about you being on the board of Synergist Network, which is a nonprofit that works towards gender parity in the private equity and venture capital industries. So we would love to hear a little bit more about the organization and what you think is the solution for not just gender disparities, but also areas where DEI falls short in these industries, as that is something that uh, BCLA is really focused on. Could you maybe speak for a couple of minutes about that?
1: Yes, happy to. So this is something I'm really passionate about uh, being a, a female investor in the space. And I think diversity, equity, and inclusion falls short, not, even, not only on the investing side, but also in the broader food, beverage, and wellness sectors as well. And something we're really dedicated to improving at Power Plant as impact investors. So I know we spent most of our time speaking to the health and environmental impacts that our investments have but we always have a diversity and inclusion lens when investing and working with brands and are focused on improving that side of the impact landscape as well I think there's so many things that go into solving this issue probably too many to name in this conversation <laughs> but networks like synergist as well as some of the other networks that we're a part of at power plant like Project Potluck, are really focused on mentorship, which I think is just one of the many unlocks that can happen to improve diversity and inclusion across a variety of industries. So I spend a lot of my time at Synergist Network mentoring young women about investing careers, letting them know the stigma of investing being a male-dominated career Mm -hmm. does not have to be true, and giving them the confidence to entertain a career in the investing sector at both the high school and undergraduate levels. And then on the food and beverage side at Power Plant, we do this through Project Potluck, which is a mentorship program that we, as well as several of our portfolio company CEOs, are a part of mentoring diverse founders, uh, both BIPOC, female, transgender, et cetera, that are launching phenomenal food and beverage brands and helping them out at an early stage to give them the right coaching that allows them to achieve funding and therefore increases their likelihood of success and scaling.
0: That's fantastic to hear and so inspiring what you said about it being investing, being a space that seems very male dominated and predominantly like a white space. It's really great to hear about the work that you're doing and we will sort of continue to um, follow that. Julianne, thank you so much for your time and for giving us so much insight into what is a really, really interesting um, industry right now, especially within LA. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you.
1: Likewise. Thank you so much for having me.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors.
2: Axel Health is a life science consulting firm that was founded on the belief that small team cultures are fertile ground for ideas with large scale impact. Combining deep industry expertise, scientific rigor, and actionable analysis, Axel Health partners with renowned life science companies to guide life changing innovations through their critical stages, from early development through market maturity. Axel Health, where leading edge inquiry drives real world results. At the Bridge Institute at USC, convergent scientific efforts seek to develop new treatments, diagnostics, and devices to solve the greatest challenges of the 21st century, including cancer, Alzheimer's disease, and diabetes. One program, the Pancreatic Beta Cell Consortium, represents a priority commitment to the construction of a detailed virtual 3D model of the pancreatic beta cell and its components. Completion of this whole cell model is critical for development of next generation treatments for diabetes. For more information, visit us on the web at bridge.usc.edu or email us at bridgeinstitute@usc.edu.
0: an amazing interview. If you want to catch more of Julianne, join Powerplant Partners at Future Food Tech Alternative Proteins on June 22nd to the 23rd, where Julianne will be hosting a roundtable to explore key considerations for growth stage companies and moderating the panel discussion, ESG and institutional investment of alternative proteins. For details, check out the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Inside Biotech. To find out more about BCLA or Powerplant Partners, check out the show notes. If you like the show, then please take a moment to subscribe and share. I know I ask every month, but it really does help our visibility and takes less than a minute. We will be continuing with our series theme, The Dish on Biotech and Food, next month, when I'll be talking to another exciting guest in the food and biotech industry in LA. This podcast is a BCLA production. Thank you so much to our podcasting team, Kathy Grosch and Ananta Wadwa, my co-producers, Damon Palermo for the sound design, Daniel Grace for the fantastic theme music, and of course, our sponsors, Zencore, Axel Health, the USC-Michelson Center Bridge Institute, and the Magnify Incubator at UCLA's California Nanosystems Institute. Until next month, take care of yourself and see you next time.